If you uh, are new to New Community or have been coming for a bit, you know that the way that we um, go about the, the preaching ministry is I'll take, someone will take a few weeks to address a topic, you know. And so this, today we, we begin this journey talking for the next several weeks about this amazing topic of spiritual gifts. Hey, hey. You know what else I need you to do is easy this one so this morning. Um, apparently, you know, I, I, I like to talk fast. And then on top of that, when I feel like I'm in a hurry, I talk even faster. So I actually need some people to go, take your time, slow down, take your time, and catch a breath. I had a good workout this morning, though. It was good. It was good. Um, today, as I always do, if you've been coming, first sermon, I pack it in so I cover a lot of ground, a lot of scripture in a short amount of time. And it looks like our PowerPoint's not working today. So uh, I hope you have your Bibles, and I hope you're ready to dig in with me as we look at some, some amazing truths around this. And by the way, I'm hoping that new light will be shed on this topic and that you'll walk out of here knowing that spiritual gifts is way more than just me helping out here and there in the church, but that there's this massive plan, purpose, mission that God has for us. Amen? And then at some point I'm going to get to this thing in case you're wondering what was that all about. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we are going to launch this series. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 10. Um, this is what the Apostle Paul says. He's writing this to a church in Ephesus which is in Asia Minor at the time, modern day Turkey. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We'll come back to that in a couple of weeks. Why that's so important that Paul says, keep the unity. Not you create it, you make it happen, you form it. He says it's there supernaturally by the Spirit. Your job is to what? Keep it. There is one body and one spirit, just as you're called to one hope when you're called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And Paul here is essentially is outlined what happens when you become a Christian. And essentially what it says is this. When you and I become a Christian at the moment of conversion, the person of Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. Anybody thankful this morning for the gift of the Holy Spirit? Amen. Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And the, when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, one of the things that happens among many other things is this. You and I, as we briefly talked about this morning during child dedication, you and I, by the power of the Holy Spirit, get joined like a body, which is huge. Joined to other people who've also been incorporated into this body by the power of the Holy Spirit, where Jesus becomes the head and this body of metaphor is so rich, so complex. We'll take a couple weeks to unpack it. He becomes that, and we become the body of Christ. And this imagery of the body, you and I being the body of Jesus, where he's the head, is so pronounced in the New Testament. You can't miss it. I mean, over and over, Paul's talking about, this is the church, this is the church, the body, the body. Just a couple examples. Colossians 1, 18, and he, that's Christ, is the head of the body, which is the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, which we'll come back to in a couple weeks. Now, you're the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. The ramifications of what he says are huge. 
one of the main ones is this. Have you ever thought about this? The body of Christ, you and I, the church, we are supposed to be the tangible, physical expression of Jesus on earth today. I, I, I just, I, I know you and I go, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. What is, no, 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 just think about that for a second. That you and I are the tangible, physical, bodily, in, literally embodiment of Christ on earth today. Do you know that people are supposed to look at us and see Jesus? Like they should. They're supposed to go, where's Jesus? We're supposed to go right here, right here, right here, right We are the embodiment. And the New Testament over and over again says, you, the church, you're the body. You're the body. People are supposed to look at you and see Jesus. The gospel writer Luke makes this connection explicit in the beginning of the book of Acts. And some of you, if you come in new community, you've heard me talk about this over and over. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the doctor, physician, Luke says, in my former book, Theophilus. Now, the former book that he's referring to is what? The Gospel of Luke. He wrote two volumes, Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And he says, in my former book, you know that, 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 that former gospel that I wrote, Theophilus, he says, there I wrote about all that Jesus began to do. Now, that's huge. There I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instruction to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles here, this is huge. Because the book of Acts, if you read it, is about the church. It's the growth and explosion of the church. And Luke is going, remember that former book, Luke? I, that, that was about what Jesus, you know, physically while he went out, began to do and teach. And the implication there is what I'm going to write here is what Jesus continues to do and teach through you. And through me. The church body, physical, tangible embodiment of Christ on earth. And to fulfill this mission, to continue to do and teach, the Bible says something very interesting. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a little few verses later, it says, But you will receive, this is Jesus now. Power when the Holy Spirit, the word power, if you're taking notes, is the word dynamis, from which we get the English word what? Dynamite. Okay? It's one of the words used in the New Testament actually to refer to spiritual gifts. Power. It's huge. We'll come back to that. The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, guys, if, don't miss this. If you miss this, you miss the whole thing. Jesus says, to equip you to continue to do what I did so that the people will hear and see who I am, what I am. He says, I am going to give you the Holy Spirit. Now, check this out. At the moment when you are given the Holy Spirit at conversion, into your life will come spirit-enabled abilities, power. Spiritual gifts to equip you to do what I did until I come back. Now, let me just stop right there. Does anybody find just that simple thing astounding? Anybody? Yes, I find that astounding. That Jesus says, now, to which we go, well, who has that though? You guys I know go, well, I think some people do. I kind of, guess what the Bible says? 
Who has it? Who? Ephesians chapter 4. Back to it. Look at what Paul says. Will you say that with me? Ready? Let's read that together. But, but to each one of us. Hello? Last time I checked, English, each one of us means what? Each one of us means everybody. But here's the implication of that in Christianity that we Christians in America just completely miss. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Hello, anybody. Christianity is not a, it's a, and I hate sports metaphors when pastors go off of, because some people can relate, some people can't. But this I have to use because it's appropriate. Christianity is not a, it's meant to be a contact sport. There literally ought to be no passive Christians on earth today. Hello? It's incompatible with your faith. It's incompatible with the faith that I profess. He says every single person who becomes a Christian is given spirit-empowered abilities to do the mission, which means for some of us, we're just kind of sitting around going, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to, I don't have it. You are missing out on fundamental identity of what you are called to do. To each one, and we're going to come back to this, you see, again and again and again, until we all, by the way, at the end of today, if you still walk out going, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know either. Anyway. To each one of us, listen to what he says. He goes on. Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now that's huge because what is the word grace, which is another word for spiritual gifts. Now you know that when he says grace there in verse 7, he's not talking about the grace that saves you because he talked about grace that saves you in verses 1 through 6. And then in verse 7 he says, but grace. So he's not talking about grace that saves you. What is he talking about? What the word grace right there is literally Greek, the word charis, from which you get the English word what? Charismatic. Did you all know that you're charismatic? And all the Presbyterians got real nervous right now. What y'all? No, literally, the Bible says if you're a Christian, into your life comes charis, grace, empowered ability, or gifts. Let me just stop real quick and then we'll go on. It's amazing to me when I see Christians who are arrogant about stuff that God does to use them. Because to me, I'm going, excuse me, your ability to be used by God to do anything has nothing to do with you. As given by God, as a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. So it's utter humility to go, God, all glory is yours. All glory goes to you. Now, why does God do this? Why does God give gifts? Why does God give grace gifts? The next few verses are the most powerful in, to me, my opinion, humble opinion, all the New Testament that opens our eyes to what spiritual gifts are. Check this out. Listen to what he says. Verse 7. Uh, verse 8. This is why. This is why he said, he, when he ascended on high, he's talking about Jesus, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Now, what does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. In English, when you hear the word ascended, what do you think of? Go up. So, for example, Peter descended down the steps and I ascended. To the stage. I descended. I ascended. We think go up. But there's another way in which scripture talks about ascended that doesn't mean go up. Ascended also means to come into power. 
he, the king, ascended to the what? What do we say? To the throne. Ascended. Come into power. To his throne. What Paul's talking about here is Jesus Christ ascended to his throne and established the kingdom of God. Now, listen to this. The metaphor that he uses there. In ancient world, when a king would go out to battle against his enemies, he would defeat his enemies, and good kings would take the spoils from war, his enemies and gold and silver, and he'd come back marching triumphantly into his city to his people, and he would distribute the spoils from war. Make no mistake about it. Paul is saying Jesus Christ descended from heaven to earth and after fighting the ultimate enemies of Satan, sin, and death on that cross and overcoming them in his resurrection, he ascended to his throne, ascended and came into power and established his kingdom under which there's healing and restoration in all of creation. Say something real quick before I move on. Sermon point, just give me like two minutes on this. Under the kingship of Jesus Christ, everything is healed. Under the kingship of Jesus Christ, everything is healed. Is this good news to anybody? Listen, listen, listen. The Bible says that everything that's gone awry in our world fundamentally comes down to this. You and I were created. We were designed to live under the kingship and lordship of Jesus Christ. It's part of our design. Let me ask you something. What happens if I take off my watch and I use it to hammer a nail? It breaks. It falls apart. Silly analogy. Point, when you use something that isn't for the purpose for which it was designed, it falls apart. It breaks. And you need to know something, Christian or not. The Bible says you and I were created to live in proper relationship to our creator. That is, to have him as our king, to have him as our Lord. But the moment that you and I decided, I don't want to live under his kingship, I don't want to live under his lordship, and came out under it, everything began to fall apart. Colossians 1, in him all things hold together, which means apart from him, what? Everything falls apart. Now, this is the most mind-boggling thing. When Paul says, when he, Christ, ascended, came into power to his throne and established his kingdom and thereby gave you and I gifts, what is he saying of us spiritual gifts? I can only say it. Holy Spirit has to make it convicting. Spiritual gifts are nothing less than kingdom powers. Spiritual gift, come on somebody, are nothing less than the, the ability that you and I have been given by God to bring somebody more under the lordship of Jesus Christ in such a way that there's healing and there's restoration in that person's life, in that community, in that city, and in that nation. Is this good news to anybody? 
Spiritual gifts, don't think, well, I just stand here and hand out bulletins. Spiritual gifts, each one, are kingdom powers that God has given to us to do a part of what Jesus did on earth to help, to serve, to minister, to preach in such a way that under his kingship, everything becomes healed and restored. It's only partial now until it returns, but it's substantial. Spiritual gifts are kingdom powers and abilities that Jesus has given us to partner with him in that work. Is this good news? Church, church, if you're sitting there going, I need you to explain that a little bit more. That's what I'm here for this morning. Okay. To show you and break down what this means for you as you're sitting there going, all right, When sin entered the world, four things, interrelated things, happened. And I'm going to illustrate that through what I will call the rings of alienation. Everybody say that with me. The rings of alienation. It is like a movie. When man and woman decided, I don't want you to be my king and lord. I'm going to do my own thing. By the way, can I just ask, has anybody in this room ever had that thought go through their minds? I don't want want you to be my king and lord. I'm going to do my own thing. Anybody? Anybody? Just me and CC? Okay. The Bible says in Genesis 2 that God created us. And check this out. At the cool of the night, God would come down and walk with Adam and Eve. <laughs> I can't wait for that. God would come down and he'd walk in the cool of the night. Think about intimacy and fellowship. Can you just imagine that? But the moment that man and woman decided... I'm going to do my own thing. The presence of God that was once life-affirming and life-giving, listen carefully, became traumatic. Because what's the first thing that Adam does when God comes? He what? He hides. The presence of God that was once we walked together now is, uh uh-uh. Uh Uh-uh. See, isn't this why some of you and I feel what we do? Don't you sometimes feel like, I can't live without God. I don't want to live with God. I want you, but I don't want you. Come on, somebody. Anybody? Anybody? Don't you feel that? Do you know why that's in us? Because you and I were created so that we would look to him for love, for significance, for identity. But we don't want him to be our master. We don't want him to be our Lord. We want our own freedom. So we go, I need your love. I need your identity. I need your significance. But I will not have you as my Lord. And the moment that happened, we were cut off from God. It's what I will call spiritual alienation. The first circle. Man is cut off from God. Before I move on, let me just say one thing. If you're sitting here, Christian or not this morning, and you're going... I'm one of those people, Peter, I don't need anybody to be in charge of my life. I am my own master, my own captain. I'm my own thing. I like my freedom, thank you very much. Can I just say something, if this resonates with you? There's not a single person in this room today who is truly free and independent. All of us this morning are in service to something or someone. It could be your children. It could be your job. 
It could be morality. It could be ministry. It could be money. It could be success. It could be accomplishment. There is something, every single one of us this morning, don't fool yourself into thinking, I am totally free. All of us look to something and says, unless I have that, I am nothing. You know what else is interesting to me? You and I were talking about this. Do you realize for some of us, it's the thing that we freely chose to do a while back that now we can't live without? The thing that we freely chose in our freedom is the very thing we can't do without now. The very definition of slavery, I can't live without it. Make no mistake about it. Nobody is truly spiritually free. You will worship something or someone, but that's not all that happened. Because spiritual elation, these are all connected, led to something else. Not only did Adam hide, but he said he hid because he was what? Do you remember? Afraid. All of a sudden, Spiritual alienation leads to, here's what I'll call, psychological alienation. What is psychological alienation? Let me just ask, has anybody in this room ever pondered and wondered the question, who am I? Anybody? Who cares? You do. You do. Not a single person in here that says, I don't care what I, you care deeply about who you are. Why is our identity, our insecurity, issues of guilt, self-worth, please don't tune me out. Why are those things, things that we so struggle with? Why do we walk around going, I'm not happy there. That doesn't give me purpose. Why the sense of who am I? What am I here for? The Bible says a moment we walk away from God, meaning we don't know who God is. We don't know who we are. I'm going to tell you something right now. You will never truly know who you are apart from God. That's not all that happened. Because psychological alienation then eventually led to social alienation. What is that? Not only did Adam hide from God, who else did he hide from? Eve. Spiritual alienation with God leads to psychological alienation. I don't know who I am. Now, when it comes to relating to you, I go, I don't want you to see me. I don't want you to look at it. No transparency. There's no vulnerability. I'm not going to be real to you. What's, what are you after? Why? James 4 says, why is there warring and fighting among you? Why are there wars? Why are there marriage issues? Why is there family breakdown? Why can't we just get along? The Bible says that the moment we walked away from God, we realize we don't know who we are. And when it comes to relating to each other, there's no vulnerability. There's no transparency. It's mistrust. I just have to stop here. Does this make sense to you? Say yes if it does. Yes? Can I just say something else? For some of us that work in the area of social alienation, what do I mean? Issues of justice and so forth. To me, how can you possibly think that you could address issues of justice without addressing spiritual and psychological alienation? 
How can you possibly say, I want to bring justice to this city and this country, unless you recognize that those things are intimately tied to not knowing who God is and not knowing who we are? How is that even possible? But that's not all that happened. Because the last thing that happened, the Bible says, and again, this is all related, is not only are we alienated from each other and from God and from ourselves, the last thing that happened is physical alienation. What do I mean? God says, I created you, have lordship and dominion over the ground and the earth. Now the earth and the ground will fight you, will be your enemy. All the days of your life you will toil. And ultimately, do you realize one of the biggest issues in life, it's simple but profound. We struggle with all our lives is dirt. Dirt in the diapers. Dirt on the carpet. Dirt on the walls. Dirt in the cabinet. Fight all your life. And then at the end of the day, when you die, six feet of what? Listen very carefully. When man said, I will not have you my master. I will be my own master. The effect of that was not just we are alienated and cut off from God. The effect of that was we don't know who God is. We don't know who we are. We don't know who we are. We can't relate to each other with trust and vulnerability. And ultimately all of creation now experiences decay, earthquakes, tornado, sickness, and death. And the amazing thing I ask you is what is it that Jesus came to do? Did he come, die and rise on the cross so we could be forgiven our sins and go to heaven? Was that the message of Jesus? Church, answer? No! That's a part of the gospel. The message of Jesus throughout the gospel says, repent and believe for the what? Kingdom of God is near. For the kingdom of God is near. For the kingdom of God is near. And what is the kingdom? Here it is. The kingdom is the healing and restoration of all of these areas as they come under his kingship and his lordship. Is that good news? The kingdom of God that Jesus came proclaiming and doing is that under his rule and reign, social, spiritual, psychological, and ultimately physical healing will happen. He came so that all of these things would be healed under his kingship. Which means, which means, which means, which means. Do you realize what the Bible says when it says, that king, when he ascended, gave you and me. Kingdom powers. That means that Anna deposited in you when you became a Christian. It's for God to use you to reverse and restore some part of the alienation in your family, in the city, and all over the world. So that when it comes more under his kingship they would experience restoration. Is that good news? Do you know what this means? That means depositing some of you are spiritual gifts and abilities to address spiritual alienation. So those of you with gifts of evangelism and missionary and teaching and preaching, 
When you use those gifts to adjust spiritual relations, you're saying, I am being used by God right now to partner with him to restore and restore someone's relationship with God. When you, when you utilize gifts of exhortation, wisdom, and discernment, some of your phenomenal counselors, when you exercise those gifts, what are you doing? You're saying, I want to be used by God to address psychological alienation in someone's life so that they would know who they are in Christ and live in strength of that identity. When some of you use gifts of help, service, hospitality, and you exercise those gifts. You're saying literally, I want to be used by God to heal social and physical alienation. So that a part of God and his restoration of kingdom will be seen here in Chicago. Is this good news to anybody? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Do you realize what this means? Do you realize that this means that if every single, forget about every single Christian on earth. Let's just talk about right here. If just even a few hundred Christians and followers of Jesus and new community realized when I became a Christian, when I became a Christian, Elijah, God deposited in me, not just one, not two, but a cluster, and I'll get to that in a couple weeks, kingdom powers and spiritual gifts so that I could address spiritual, psychological, social, and physical. How the heck, if we realize that, do we sit passively and do absolutely nothing? How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we do that, church? And I'll talk more about this. For some of you that just sitting, <laughs> a church is like a football game. 50,000 people who desperately need exercise, sitting under or watching 11 people who really need to rest. Church, some of you, Sissy, have been given what I'll call, and I'll talk more about this in a couple weeks. Oh, this is bothering me. Some of you have been given what I'll call word gifts that address spiritual and psychological, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you have talking gifts. You gab really good. That's me, I think. And using word gifts, God has given me the ability, deposited, to address someone spiritual so they can relate to God. And also psychologically, they know who they are in Christ. Some of you, and I thank God for you, you've been given deed gifts. Jesus began to do and teach deed gifts. That is, acts that address both physical and social alienation. So through gifts, mercy, and helps, you are helping city of Chicago, your family, experience healing and restoration. This is the only way, the only way that you and I could read the Bible and make sense of some passages. Do you know that? Some passages, if you don't get this, you go, what the heck does that mean? Let me give you a couple examples. First example. First example, John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus, this is Jesus saying, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. Okay, that's pretty cool. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to Father. Let me just ask you something. How many of us sitting here this morning going, I've done greater works than Jesus? <laughs> do you know why he said that? Because if Jesus lived in the United States, I think he was from the South. Because when he said you, he wasn't saying you, singular. He was saying y'all. What does it mean? When Jesus was on earth, incarnate, one man. 
He never traveled more than 15, 30 miles from his home. But he says, when I ascend to the throne and I distribute my kingdom powers, and look at all my followers. That means at any moment, there are, just in this city, thousands and thousands of Jesus ambassadors going into every family, every cubicle, every street, every neighborhood. Is this good news to anybody? That means that tomorrow, Monday, Jesus Christ could preach in Chicago. Can I get an amen? Jesus Christ can feed the poor. Jesus Christ can do service of helps. Jesus Christ can exhort. Jesus Christ can counsel. Jesus Christ could do all of these things. Why? Because every single one of us has been entrusted with kingdom power. I have to end with the gospel. It's a challenge, but also deep. Do you ever think about what it means when the Bible says he's the head and we are the body? Do you ever think about the ramifications of that? Paul gets to it in Ephesians 1, and I'm going to end with this. He says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, scholars and commentators debate about the word fullness. The Greek word is pleroma. What does it mean when Paul says, you the church are the pleroma of Jesus, the fullness of Jesus? Here's what the Greek word pleroma means. Pleroma literally means that which reveals who the person is. If you see me go home today, and I walk to my refrigerator, my body, and I open the refrigerator, I take out a big old ham sandwich, and I eat it, and I would ask you, what was in my head? You would say, Peter was hungry. You could tell by what my body does, by that which is in my head. Do you realize what the Bible says when he says Jesus is the head and you are the body? Do you realize that he's literally saying when people see you, they ought to see who? Jesus. They ought to see Jesus. You are his glory. Here's other good news. And this is where I sit to get power to do this. My head has never gone where my body hasn't gone, and my body has never gone where my head hasn't gone. My head has never turned left, and my body turned right. Some of times it wants to, but it's never gone, which means everywhere my head goes, my body goes. So let me ask you a question. You are the body. He is the head. Where the body goes, the head goes. Where the head goes, the body goes. The Bible says that Jesus Christ right now is sitting at the right hand of God. Where are you? Say it. Where are you? Right. Think about that without letting your mind explode. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
The head of the body is at the right hand of God. Where are you? You are also at the right hand of God. Is that good news to anybody? Jesus Christ is looked upon by the Father with unconditional acceptance and love. How does the Father see you? With unconditional acceptance and love. Jesus Christ is as secure as secure can get. Can you imagine God the Father saying to Jesus, I don't think you could be my son anymore. How secure are you? Wherever the head goes, the body goes. You are his glory. You are his beauty. He is your head. You are his body. If you recognize that, I'm going to say this carefully. How dare we look at all the alienation rings in our society today and go, uh, I'm just going to sit right here. You need to go home today and go, what would you learn today? You need to say to your roommate, I need to heal the alienation rings of Chicago. And if your roommate goes, what are you talking about? You could say, when I became a Christian, God graciously deposited in me kingdom powers to partner with him, to heal and restore all of creation. Anna, pick on you for the last time. Is this good news? Does this blow your mind? Here's what you need to do. You need to prayerfully next minute as CC and the rest of the worship team comes. You need to prayerfully think about this. And we're going to go on this journey because you're going, I don't know, Peter. What, what? The whole point of the sermon series ultimately get to the point where we discover together what gifts, not just one, two, what cluster of gifts, spiritual gifts God has given you to address the various alienation rings in your family, in your personal life, and in the city of Chicago and all over the world. What an amazing privilege. Pray with me. Pray with me. I say this to you every Sunday before you go out. I say, you are a sent person. You're sent. That's your identity. God has a mission for you. God has a mission for you. And maybe you've sat there and wondered, okay, I meant no, God is, but what do I do about that? Well, what you do is you start by saying, God, what are the ways in which you've deposited your gifts and abilities in my life so I could be used by you and partner with you to bring about healing and restoration. I don't know if there are more important questions in life than this question. So who is God to you? Is he your Lord? Is he your King? Is he your Lord? Is he your King? If he is, he's deposited these gifts to you. So pray, God, show me. Speak to me. I'm just going to let him speak to you. God, show me. Speak to me. What's my kingdom assignment? What is my name on it? Speak to me.
For those of you that are using it, using your gifts, exercising them, ministering in accordance with them, and seeing God's blessing and favor, be grateful, man, rejoice. Take this time to really worship and thank God as Carlton leads us. Give him praise, give him praise and honor and glory. Jesus. Mm -hmm. 